Well done, Maggie. Wow. <laughs> I have to say, I think that's one of the trickiest passages in the whole Bible to read in a meaningful way, and you did it perfectly, so thank you very much. <laughs> so, if you have been here for the last few weeks, you will know that together we are going on a hike together. We are going on a hike up a mountain. And the mountain isn't Snowdon, it's not Ben Nevis, it's not Everest, it's not even the Val de Terre. We are heading up the mountain of the book of Romans. It's a book in the New Testament, a letter written to the early church in Rome. And it's well known for having some of the most wonderful, beautiful verses in the whole of the Bible. It's also got really important foundations for our faith. And as we've just heard, it's got some of the trickiest passages too. But fortunately, we have a guide. Our guide in this case is Andrew Ollerton, who's written this book about Romans. And it's his idea to have this picture of the mountain to help us remember our journey and the different stages. So, so far, we've thought about the um, the root of the gospel, we went down into the valley of sin, up to the crux of salvation. We had a little resting place last week in the place of peace. And I'm afraid this week we've got the steep ascent to the summit, which John will get to enjoy preaching about next week. But today, brace yourselves, we've got this steep ridge of freedom to make, work our way up. And because of that, I think I'm going to pray before we dive into it. So Jesus, I just pray actually that you would be our guide. Lord, would you be my guide this morning? Would you breathe your life-giving words into our minds and into our hearts that we would be truly transformed? Jesus, would you guide me to say the bits of my preparation you want me to speak and to leave aside those that we don't need to hear right now? And I pray this for your glory. Amen. <laughs> so we have covered in the last few weeks quite a lot of broad, sweeping theology, ideas about God, which are really important foundations for our faith. And now we're kind of moving or narrowing in to those things which will make a difference and be evident in our lives. I guess to kind of switch the metaphor, if you're a builder or an architect or if you're an expert from your armchair watching grand designs on the television, you will know that a huge amount of money and effort and time go into setting the foundations before you can get above the surface of the ground. And I think that's the point at, we're at this week. So I think it's quite exciting that we've done a lot of deep foundational work and now we're beginning to think, well, what difference does all this make in our everyday lives. So we're going to have a little look at these two chapters. And chapter six really is a celebration of the freedom that we're given in Jesus. And chapter seven is more an explosion of frustration. So we've got kind of two things going on here. But before we dive in, I'd love you just to stop and to think about what the word freedom means for you. This week, I've had quite a lot of songs running through my head. So far, we've had some really beautiful songs reflecting on the freedom that Jesus brings us. Really beautiful. 
If you flick on the radio, you can also find a real hunger for freedom anywhere. If you're a child of the 60s, I'm not going to look at anyone in particular, but you might have been really into the protest songs of Bob Dylan. Um, if you were a cool kid in the 90s, unlike me, you might have been grooving out to the Soup Dragons and their song, I'm free to do what I want any old time. I'm free to be what I want, to choose who I want any old time. Or maybe you're a bit of an old rocker and the Queen anthem, I want to break free, resonates with you. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's at least one in the house. Fantastic. <laughs> maybe instead of songs, maybe you've got some clear images of freedom in your mind. Maybe you remember that time, quite a long time ago now, that Nelson Mandela was set free from his prison. Maybe you can remember Terry Waite being released from being a hostage. But beyond all those things in your head, I wonder what freedom would mean for you. What would freedom look like for you in your life? What is the freedom that you so long for? Is there some kind of freedom from the past? A freedom from worry or anxiety? Maybe those self-defeating thoughts that bug you so much. Or maybe it's a freedom to do something you can't do or freedom to go somewhere you can't go right now. I want you to hold on to those thoughts because we're going to come back to those later. Freedom is something that we're all hungry for in different ways. We're going to have a, a little look at the key messages in chapter six and seven. If you're part of a home group, you can pick apart every single verse and go into all the nitty gritty. I just want to highlight some of the key messages. And then there's like a little picture story that I think is running through these um, verses that I want to share before we finish. So in chapter six, Paul is kind of hammering home this point that he's already made and already established that when we say, yes to Jesus, and when we accept his forgiveness, which is a gift of grace, then we are dead to our sin. That means spiritually, all the bad stuff that we've done, all the ways we've gone against God, all the things we've done that spoiled the things he's made, none of that counts against us. Anymore. And a couple of weeks ago, James held up a Bible and put all his sins in it and hid it. And that's we are hidden in Christ. And it's amazing and it's quite hard for us to really believe. But that's the truth that Paul has already established. But it seems to be in this chapter that Paul has come across this argument that some people are saying that, well, if we've got this amazing gift of forgiveness and God's grace then what does it matter what we do with our lives? Surely we can go keep on singing and we'll just go back to God and he'll forgive us. What we do doesn't matter. But Paul is arguing that if you think that's the case, you haven't understood the full good news of the gospel. You haven't understood the full story. Yes, when we say yes to Jesus, we're dead to our sins. We're also raised to new life and what we do in that life really does matter. It's not going to earn us our place in heaven, 
that is secure. The gospel isn't just about forgiveness, but it's about living a brand new life, leaving behind what was behind and grasping on to what is new. And that really is easier said than done. And in the few verses that Maggie read from um, chapter six, Paul is challenging us to think about whose voice we're listening to when we decide what we're going to do. He says to the Romans that, he uses a lot of Christian jargon, I'm really sorry about this, I'll try and unpack it. He says, previously you were slaves to impurity and that led to increased wickedness and that leads to death. But instead now you're slaves to righteousness That leads to holiness and that leads to eternal life. I suppose slavery is an idea that we do not tolerate anymore and it's a difficult concept for us. But if we take slavery to mean someone who listens to his master's voice and does it, then Paul is asking us to think about whose voice are we listening to when we decide what we do in our lives. Are we following a a voice that leads to life or a voice that leads to death. It might not always be God that's directing our behavior. If we spend a lot of time on social media, are we being sown those seeds of dissatisfaction in our lives or self-pity, things that make us think, I have to improve myself, I have to accumulate more. And what do those buying choices do? What do they do for perhaps people in poorer parts of the world? What do they do for the state of our planet? We need to be thinking about where does that voice come from and what's the consequence going to be? Are my words coming as a desire to be popular or maybe to punish someone who's hurt me? Are my words going to breathe life and grace into a situation, or are they gonna spread more cynicism, or are they gonna kill someone else's reputation? We have all received this amazing gift of grace from God, and our life should be characterized by that grace. I did stop to think about this for myself, and I think, One voice that spoke to me throughout my life is the voice that says, don't do that, you'll make a fool of yourself. At school, don't put your hand up because you'll only make a fool of yourself. At a wedding, don't dance, you're gonna look like a wally. At a meeting, don't speak up, you've probably got the wrong end of the stick and you're gonna look stupid. But I don't want that voice to dictate my life anymore. I want to know God's freedom. I want to express joy because I'm feeling joyful, not worrying what other people think about me. And I'm so aware that if I don't speak up for someone else, maybe no one else will. I want to seize this freedom that God is offering me and not listen to that other voice. I mentioned Nelson Mandela just now, and he said this, he knows what it's like to be set free. He said, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances 
the freedom of others. We're about extending grace and bringing life to the world. Often when I'm in church, I'm tucked away with synth in the office at the back, but this week on Thursday and Friday, I was helping out in the cafe, and it was very interesting. Um, There was a slightly different atmosphere this week because people were clearly so concerned about what's happening in the Gaza region with Israel and Hamas. And at one particular time, there were some chaps sitting at the table just near the kitchen. I don't normally eavesdrop on the conversations, but things were getting quite steamy about what was going on and the rights and the wrongs and whatever. It was obviously on people's minds. But over the course of those two days, more people than I've experienced before came forward not only to pay their bill, but wanting to buy the pay-it-forward vouchers so that someone else coming in could have a free something to eat or drink. And one of the um, girls who came in articulated it, and others had said something similar. She said, there's so much rubbish going on in the world, I can't do anything about that, but I can show some kindness here. And that just moved me, and I just thought, that's right, isn't it? There's something of the spirit of that here, that maybe we can't change all the big stuff on our own, but we can extend some kindness and change the atmosphere where we are right now. That was chapter six. (laughs) Right, we're going to move on to chapter seven now. Now, at the beginning of the series, John explained that this letter to the Romans would have reached this group of Christians in Rome who are quite a diverse group. Some of them would have had a Jewish heritage, some were Gentiles, non-Jews, some were free, some were slaves. And I suppose for those amongst them who had a Jewish heritage, the strongest voice that shaped their lives thus far had been the law, the Old Testament law that had been given to them by Moses. It wasn't just something to shape their lives, but it formed their identity as well. And Paul was saying you need to have a new relationship with the law. It has to change. No longer are you judged by the law, But he's also going on to say, but actually you've never been helped by the law. It was never your help. An analogy is, if you're any good at DIY, I think, James, you're quite good with that. (laughs) Um, If you're putting up a shelf at home, you might get your spirit level out. Your spirit level will tell you if your shelf is crooked, but it won't straighten out your shelf. And in the same way, the law in the Bible shows us where we're crooked or where the people of Israel are crooked, but it doesn't make them good. It doesn't make us good. And in fact, not them, not Paul, as we heard from the reading, and certainly not us, can live this amazing, pure, life-giving life on our own. We always end up failing falling over and getting in a mess. And that's the frustration that Paul expresses in that long passage that we just heard. We all have that little seed of rebellion in us, that potential to sin. If you've ever been to a stately home and there's that beautifully manicured grass and there's the little sign that says, keep off the grass, what does your foot want to do? 
a quick touch like that. I was speaking to a man this week who's been looking after a tortoise for five weeks while a friend went on holiday, and he said he built this really big enclosure in his back garden for the tortoise to enjoy while the friend was away. And he said for five weeks the tortoise was trying to climb out of the enclosure that he'd so carefully made for it. And I think there's probably something of the tortoise or the rebellious tourist in us. And actually, when we think about the situation in Gaza too, the seeds of hatred and unforgiveness there, if we're honest, are all hiding somewhere in our own hearts as well. And we can all cry out, what a wretched man am I? What a wretched person I am, am I? Who will rescue me? And we can all say, Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God, because Jesus delivers us. And I just love it that the faith that we share is so deep, it's so profound, that it's kept the theologians thinking for centuries, but the essence of it is simple enough for a child to understand. It's simple enough for someone with a profound disability to receive, that Jesus sees us in our pain and in our trappedness, and he comes to us to deliver us, to show us his love, to wash us clean, and to set us free. It's a beautiful thing, and that's what we celebrate here today. Some of the words used by Paul throughout these two chapters would have been um, kind of trigger points or memories for the Jewish people listening to them. When he talked about slavery, it wasn't just an everyday reality for the Roman Christians. The Jewish people knew that part of their story was that they once, in a low point of their history, were slaves in Egypt. And that in that place, God heard their cries, he saw their oppression, and so he sent Moses to come and bring them out. And they passed through the waters, a bit like a baptism, they passed through their waters, and when they came out the other side, Pharaoh no longer had any power over them, they were no longer slaves, but they were free. And from there, God led them to Mount Sinai, where Moses went up and received the law that we've been talking about, a law to show them how to live. And then they were to go into the promised land. And we know, don't we, that they didn't skip there quickly, but they went walking round and round in circles, grumbling against God before they finally got to the promised land. And we know all too bitterly that that didn't end happily ever after either. They just couldn't keep the law in the way that we can't. And um, there's some pictures coming up to demonstrate that story. Um, so you can move from Egypt through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai where the law is given onto the promised land. And actually that picture story can reflect our story too because each of us in different ways know what it is to be captive or to be lost or unfulfilled, in pain. And in the same way, God sees our struggle 
and our pain, and instead of sending Moses, he sends Jesus to us to deliver us, to give us forgiveness, to give us his love. And we're called to leave the past behind and to take hold of this new life that he gives us. If you come back next week, you'll find out at the top of the mountain (laughs) what gift we have. And John will talk about that beautifully, I'm sure. But of course, what we're given is Jesus. And we're not left to do all this on our own, but he sends his spirit to help us. So that even when things aren't perfect around us, we can still have a sense of his love and his peace and his hope and even his joy. So I hope those little um, pictures, they might tell your story, your testimony, but it could also be a prayer for every day, starting the day thinking, Lord, I'm sorry for yesterday, or today I'm feeling anxious about this. Would you come and wash me clean? I want your new life today. I receive you again, Lord. Show me what to do. Show me how I can bring your love and your grace to the people around me this week. So, as ever, the answer is Jesus. He is the deliverer, but we can do some things to help ourselves in the meantime. So just before I finish in prayer, just here are some little practical pointers. When that little voice comes and tells you that you're rubbish or you're no good or you'll never make anything of yourself, Remember who you are in Christ. He loves you and he said, and we're called to remember, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. When we're tempted, obviously keep away from those things which are temptations, but it's good to have a little prayer in your pocket or a little mantra that will help you. Andrew Ollerton in the book says that in times of temptation, he says this, I have died to sin, I am alive to God. Sin is not my master, I am free in Christ. Sometimes we have to have something to cling on to like that. And remember, we don't walk alone. Yes, we have Jesus with us, but we're also set in a family. Everyone here today is part of this beautiful and diverse family and we're here for one another, to help one another. We can be accountable to one another. We can pray for one another. We've got some wonderful people who love to act as mentors. We've got some really wonderful counsellors who come in and use the counselling room here. We're happy to set you up with this troubling thing that just won't let you go. Always after a service, there'll be someone here who would just be delighted to pray for you. Don't do this on your own. We're doing this together. And finally, there was a lovely little bit that we didn't really get to in the passage that talks about using our body as an instrument of righteousness. We've thought about singing songs. Perhaps as I finish now, and in a moment's quiet, think about how could you use your body your mind, your creativity, your energy, your time this week to extend something of the grace that you've received to the people that you'll be spending time with this week. Let's just have a moment's quiet and then I'll pray.
Jesus, we thank you so much that even though we can get ourselves in a mess and this beautiful world is certainly in a mess too, that you come to us in our pain to deliver us and to set us free. You set us free from shame and guilt. You raise our heads to live a new life of love with you. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful and powerful truth in your gospel. And thank you that freedom from sinful patterns of behavior is possible and that we no longer have to live under that weight of sin. Where we need to find freedom and where we long for freedom, would you please set us free? Holy Spirit, please come and live in our hearts and empower us to live free for your glory. Amen. Amen.